Hi. The Dudes Being Dudes podcast is presented by Knocking Point Wines. A winery celebrating its 10th year out of Walla Walla, Washington, started by two buddies, myself and Andrew Harding. This is our podcast, which we will co-host from time to time. Or, like this episode, it's just me. You're stuck with me. And yeah, this is what my hair looks like now. If you're watching on video, that is... A big thank you to everyone that's helping out with the podcast right now. Our friend Taryn Lee, Zach Albright, Andrew Harding, my co-host sometimes, all the folks at Studio 71, and today's guest, the first Olympian that I've ever spoken to, Ms. Abby Rock. Abby is a national champion. Uh, she won the women's hockey title in 2019 at the University of Wisconsin, and she is representing the women's U.S. hockey team. She's the first Indigenous person to represent the team, and they are vying. Well, I mean, right now, she's about to play her first elimination game, and she's doing the right thing and not counting her chickens before they hatch, but there would have to be a fucking calamity for the U.S. and Canada to not meet in the gold medal match, which will take place on February 16th at 8.10 p.m. Pacific time. I am going to be doing a watch party for that for members of Knocking Point, and we are going to be raising some money for a friend of hers who tragically passed away in an accident uh, in the summer of 2021. I believe. So there's information about that if you are a Knocking Point member. And I'm not meaning to be crass, but you really should be a Knocking Point member if you're interested in what Drew and I are doing with the winery. If you're not interested in wine or community or fun parties or cool quarterly or monthly shipments, then then don't be a member. But if you are, Go to KnockingPoint.com. We'll get to Abby in a moment. Um, I thought that maybe I would do a little bit of an intro here. It's fun times in Los Angeles right now. I'm currently preparing to go back and shoot season two of my television program, Heels, which you can check out on Stars At any point, by the way, our first season's there right now. It's eight episodes. It made all the lists at the end of the year for um, you know best new shows that you haven't heard of or just best new shows or like the best TV of 2021. Obviously I'm biased, but it's a fucking great show. We've got a absolutely beast of a cast with Alexander Ludwig and Alison Luff, Kelly Berglund, Mary McCormick, Chris Bauer, Alan Maldonado, James Harrison, Roxton Garcia, Robbie Ramos, Duke Roberts, Trey Tucker, Eric Pappas, Michael Malley. Who am I missing? I don't know. But I'm a huge fan of the show. I'm getting very, very excited. So I'm in the midst of training right now. Yeah, just I'm uh, massive. Again, if you're not watching on video, you don't know that I just flexed for the camera. But uh, I've been training at a gym called Unbreakable in Los Angeles that was started by Jay Glazer. And the really cool thing about that gym is it really fosters an interesting community. When you walk into the gym, everyone uh, says your name. The person that's sitting there at reception goes, Steven! So imagine for those of you who are old enough that remember Cheers, which um, is, the, uh, is the show that's based on the song they're using in an Applebee's commercial now. When Norm would walk into the bar, everyone would go, Norm! So you go in there and look, it's it's LA and everyone thinks that LA is pretentious and it is. Believe me, it is. But there's a real sense of community in there and everyone, once you're in there and you're working out, is treated like an equal and that's great. So right now it's really fun because a lot of players in the NFL, which is something that we're going to speak about in a moment, a lot of players from the NFL are coming back to California after the season and are starting to train again. That's the life of a professional athlete. You know, these guys, most of them in the league, unless you made the playoffs, played your last game on the 9th of January. And here we are basically about a month later. And they're now officially around two months, two and a bit months away from OTAs. So that's the life of a professional athlete uh, 
I, I've been fortunate enough to get it, to know a few now, uh, James Harrison principally. And the thing that strikes me, the overarching uh, tone, tone, the, the, the familiar trait that seems to run through all these guys and gals is work ethic. And that's something that we see and learn about Abby in the interview that I do with her that's coming up shortly. Man, they just work hard. It's just what you do. James Harrison gets up at 4.45 and gets to the gym at 5 a.m. and is there until 9. And it's just what he does. It's just what he does. And frankly, it is absolutely staggering when you see it for the first time. It really is. That work ethic, uh, if I could if I could apply that to, to the things that I pursue in life, principally acting, maybe parenting or reading or writing or entrepreneurship, if I could apply that level of discipline, I feel like the sky's the limit for me. So to that end, pro athletes um, growing up, they were my heroes. And, and they kind of are now too, but for different reasons. Man, being in LA, you meet famous people all the time. And, you know, there's probably a couple of people that would give me pause, so to speak. Like maybe I wouldn't be able to be totally cool around them. But, you know, in my industry, in the acting industry, in the entertainment industry, you know, no one's going to, no one's going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, freak me out. <clears throat> Pardon me. I just learned to have some water before I do these. No one's going to freak me out, but for the longest time, I wouldn't be able to carry on a conversation with, with professional athletes. I'd get weird and they would sense my weirdness. And it stayed that way for a number of years until 2017, I believe it was, 2017 or 2018. I was out in Palm Springs and uh, it was the weekend of Coachella. And my wife and I had a bunch of people over to our house in the desert that we were at. Just to come over to pre-party before you go to the to the music festival. Yeah, I'm a LA guy that goes to Coachella. I know I'm a cliche. It's fine. Um, I'm wearing a Coachella shirt right now, which is not mine. It was left at my house, but that's neither here nor there. So I'm standing around with uh, my buddy Brad, who was playing for the Arizona Coyotes at the time, and he, you know, I. I was awkward around him for a long time and then we became friends, but he was the exception to the rule for professional athletes. I was just a total dickhead and super weird and awkward around all other professional athletes. And what I didn't realize was that I was putting them all up on a pedestal and I couldn't see them for who they actually were, which is oftentimes like young kids that, that are, you know, from small towns and, you know, happen to be really, 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 really extraordinary at something. And so I'm standing around with a bunch of guys that Brad plays with on the Arizona Coyotes. And we're making small talk and I'm fucking embarrassing myself. And finally, one of the, one of the guys goes, hey man, can you do it? I said, do what? I said, can you do it? Yeah. Do what? can you tell me that I've failed my city? And I went, oh man. And it was like a, a switch flipped where all of a sudden I realized that, you know, these are just, these, these are, these are guys, guys and gals, just like me. And um, from that point forward, I stopped being awkward around professional athletes, which is important because maybe like two years later, I got a FaceTime when I was on the set of Arrow and it was my buddy Adam and I didn't, uh, I wasn't expecting his call and it was a FaceTime. So I'm like, well, whatever's going on here, it's going to be weird. And I answered the phone and it was Charles Barkley who told me that he was a big fan of Arrow and we had a good chat. But uh, yeah, pro athletes, speaking of pro athletes, 
Super Bowl week here in Los Angeles. And my wife and I have been season seat holders for the Rams since they came back to Los Angeles. They've been back six full seasons now. The first season under Jeff Fisher was just an abomination. And the Coliseum, listen, they're making the Coliseum, the LA Coliseum, a lot nicer. And when the Olympics are here in 2028, you'll see the Coliseum and they'll have the track and field events there and it'll look great. But when the Rams came back here in 2016, I guess it would be, maybe 17, God, that place was a shithole. It was really, really bad. The surrounding area was entirely dilapidated. Uh, it hadn't been updated. It, 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 it was not the best experience, but we stuck it out. And then the next year, they get Sean McVay, this 30 30- one-year-old or two-year-old wonder kid who comes in and takes ostensibly the same roster that just went four and 12 goes 11 and five wins the division. Eh, they blew their wild card game against the, against the Falcons, but whatever the next year they go to the super bowl. Uh, we went to that. That was not good. Uh, the year, the year after they missed the playoffs, but, uh, but you know, every year since McVeigh has been here, um, they put a great product on the field. And then going to SoFi Stadium this year, the first year, because, of course, in the 2020 season, pardon me, there were no fans allowed, certainly in California. So we weren't able to go to SoFi. But going to SoFi this year has been great. It's been great. And uh, you know, I'm going to the Super Bowl on Sunday. And I I would just like to say that without, without being too specific, and I think about this all the time as a, as a small business owner. Really, you should really take care of your constituents. You really should. And the Super Bowl is an interesting thing. It's not run typically a, the NFC Championship game. So it's the 49ers versus the Rams. That game is run by the Rams. They control all the tickets. They control all the boxes. They control the access to the stadium. The other team, I assume, is given an allotment or they have a ticket guy. Uh, and obviously their fans can go into the secondary market or, or just the basic marketplace and purchase tickets to go to the game if they want. The Super Bowl is a different deal because the Super Bowl is run by the NFL. They control the whole thing. So the Rams technically aren't even the home team. They're the road team for the event. And uh, they get a slight allotment. Uh, SoFi Stadium or the Rams do, I, I suspect, just because it is in their home stadium. And then they get an additional allotment because they're actually in the game, which is super cool. But um, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no two ways about it. Um, they didn't treat us very well with tickets. Look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complaining. Actually, no, I am complaining, but do, and don't weep for me. It's fine. I'm very excited to go to the Super Bowl. I'm very excited that I have the right to purchase tickets to the Super Bowl. But for God's sakes, they could have done a little better. You know, <laughs> everyone paid a lot of money to get season seats at SoFi Stadium. If you went through that process, if you went through the seat license process. And um, the bottom line is that everyone that I've dealt with in the Rams organization has, has, has been lovely. Um, I don't, I'm allowed to say this because I don't have a publicist and I don't ask for free shit ever. If I'm a fan of a team and I am, I I pay, right? So sure. I have a platform and, 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 and sure. Like I, I, maybe I could go that route, but I don't because I like having the right of having my seat. It's just, it's, it's a, it's, it's a thing. Is it a penis extension? I don't know. Maybe it is a little bit. Yeah, I have season seats, the Rams. Was the Is the whole seat license, personal seat license? And if you don't understand personal seat licenses for, for sports, it's a giant money grab that, that they do anytime a team goes into a new arena where they basically say, hey, pay this one-time upfront fee, which was exorbitant for the seats that we got, and I will give it back to you 40 years later. I swear to God, this happens. What does it give you the right to? Well, first of all, you have to do it per seat. And then it just gives you the right to then pay for your season seats. And if you want to give up your season seats, I believe you have to sell your license and, you know, whatever. 
<laughs> I mean, honestly, we may do that and then just pick and choose the games that we go to. But um, yeah, the way that they framed SoFi Stadium in terms of the access that you would get with certain tickets um, is not what came to fruition several years later. Like it was a full on bait and switch. And that is um, unfortunate. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I think it's a beautifully run organization. Um, everyone that I've met that's connected to it, players, coaches, staff is great, but you have to, and I think about this as a small business owner, and this is one of the things that we're doing with Knocking Point is we are really turning our focus towards our members, the people that had been with us that tried our wine back in June of 2013 when we had never produced wine before. So they're buying it and they're trying it sight unseen. It could have been gasoline. They would not have got their money back. Thankfully, it wasn't. But, you know, you're wondering why in that January 9th game when it's Rams 49ers that there's a ton of 49ers fans there. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, the 49ers have been around forever. They've won five championships. They're one of the biggest brands in all of professional sports. They have fans in Northern California and all across the United States and around the world. People grew up, they were watching Joe Montana and Steve Young and Jerry Rice and Bill Walsh and the West Coast offense. And they're like, we're fucking 49ers fans. And a lot of them are in LA. But one of the other reasons why you're getting a ton of 49ers fans there is because the Rams just absolutely gouged everybody with personal seat license fees if you wanted to get a seat at SoFi Stadium. So a lot of these people are turning around going, fuck this, because I can put my tickets on the secondary market and sell them back. If you want to, if you want to breed loyalty, don't gouge people. And listen, um, <laughs> I'm saying this in a public platform because I'm not saying anything that's out of school. Again, I've met a ton of people at the organization. I think that they're fantastic. But, um, you know, when... You buy a seat for a season seat, you pay for a seat license, and one of the main selling points is that you're going to get access to the Super Bowl. Don't fuck those people on the tickets. <laughs> Don't do it. You're supposed to get not necessarily your seats, but the equivalent quality, and you don't, and you have no recourse. So thankfully... I was able to get in touch with my man, James Harrison, who still has some connections with the Steelers and he found a ticket guy. And again, I just like to point out, I'm allowed to say all this because the tickets that he got me, I paid for. So I'm going to the game, the Super Bowl. I could not possibly be more fired up. I've been to one Super Bowl before and it was quite possibly the worst Super Bowl of the 21st century. Patriots 13, Rams 3. It was in Atlanta. That stadium is beautiful. I got to meet Rich Eisen for the first time. I got to meet the guys that flew the Jets over the stadium who were big fans of Arrow. My buddy Jack got me into a loge box. I stress drank for like five hours because it was the Rams and I wasn't comfortable and I'm rooting against Belichick and Brady, which will drive anyone to drink. That's why people pretend like they don't like Tom Brady and Bill Belichick is because at one point in time over the past 20 years, they've absolutely ripped your fucking hearts out if you're a fan of the opposing team. They totally have. But man, 13 to 3, Gronk made a big catch. Um, gosh, I'm Brandon Cooks dropped two passes that could have changed the game. And we saw quite possibly the worst halftime show in Super Bowl history. God bless Maroon 5. They were fucking terrible. <laughs> Go back and watch it. Like, they could have showed any of the halftime shows. Like, they could have showed Prince playing in Miami posthumously just on the video board. It would have been better than the Maroon 5 halftime show. So the fact that we got Dre, Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Eminem. Like, this is conceivably like, happening in Inglewood, California. This is conceivably the greatest halftime show of all time. And I'm going with our season seat buddies. So obviously my wife and I are going. And then our season seat buddies, uh, our friend Elisa and her husband, George. Well, our friends, Elisa and George. She's born and raised in LA and, uh, you know, <laughs> loves Dre, loves Snoop. 
<laughs> loves Mary J. Loves, 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 loves that this is going to be the halftime show. We were at the game when they showed Dre in the crowd and announced that he was going to be performing at halftime. It's just great. So the lesson that we take away from this is uh, professional sports are hard. Running a business, uh, especially a uh, <coughs> something, what are the Rams worth? Like if someone went to Stan Kroenke right now and offered him $12 billion for the team, he's probably going to say no. I mean, that would be overpaying, but the NFL has taken their franchises and the fact that he owns the stadium as well. They're, they're ostensibly priceless now. It's tougher to own an NFL franchise than it is to become president of the United States. Don't believe me? Well, Donald Trump tried multiple times to become an NFL owner. And when he didn't, you know the rest of the story. So occasionally we'll do a little intro like this where I can meander and ramble along and air my dirty laundry. And I'm really enjoying doing the podcast. Um, I want everyone to please bear with me because I am um, trying to improve as an interviewer. I'm trying to improve my diction. If anyone has ever listened to themselves speak into one of these things or just heard a recording of yourself, the little idiosyncratic elements of your speech will drive you up the fucking wall. <laughs> they really will. Um, yeah. So without further ado, a potential gold medalist, national champion, and first-time Olympian, my good friend, Abby Rock, direct from Beijing. Well, the good thing is, is that no one will ever know that this is attempt number two, yeah. except that Except we know, yeah. and I'm not going to edit this out, so everyone else is going to know. Yeah. Uh, my my guest today is a first-time Olympian and NCAA champion and Sports Illustrated <laughs> cover person, Abby Rock. Abby, how are you? You know, I'm good. Uh, having a good time over here in China, so how are you? Mm -hmm. I'm good, thank you. Do you know what the name of this podcast is, by the way? Did they tell you? Uh, dudes being dudes, if I'm right. Or Pardon me. Say that again. D and D. Is this working? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's the dudes being dudes podcast, which, as I said before, like it doesn't matter. We're obviously gonna have we're obviously gonna have women on and stuff like that. But um, yeah, yeah. You're you're our first female guest, first Olympian. We had a professional athlete on, and Drew and I like to think that we're professional athletes, but this is really exciting. So. Let's let's begin with where you are in the world right now. You're in Beijing. How is it? Oh, it's uh it's very interesting. It's fun. I mean, obviously uh the plane ride here was a little insane, very far and it's uh mm -hmm. a little insane too with all the covid protocols just for the Olympics because obviously you don't want to be one of the few who uh, can't compete. So it's uh, it's very interesting in that aspect, a little bit of a different Olympics with all of that. So where did you guys fly out of? We flew out of LA. Uh, we had to meet there mm -hmm. for uh, team processing. So we met there, got all our Nike and like polo uh, clothes <laughs> and stuff. And yeah. we uh, got to try it all on. And then we flew out, I think like two or three days later. Mm -hmm. And so when you arrive in Beijing, do, do you do you feel like you're in Beijing right now? Or could you be anywhere because of the nature of the protocols for the COVID Olympics and just the fact that you're, I assume, airport, hotel, practice facility, rink, hotel, like it, it, you, when I go somewhere for a convention, let's say, and people say, how are you enjoying Kansas city? I say, great, but I could be anywhere because I'm just mm -hmm. inside a convention center. Are you getting to see any of Beijing or not? Um, I would say the, our, uh, our bus ride, they tried to tell us it was about like 20 minutes. It's been about 45 minutes to an hour to the rink. So I get to see a lot of Beijing yeah. on the bus ride. I think more than anything is when you kind of realize it. I think it took me till 
like day five to see the mountains out the window though. And I was like, wait, how did I, how did I miss that for five days? But um, yeah, I mean, until you're like driving through the city to go to the rinker, we were allowed to go to other uh, sports actually. We can go uh, watch and take buses to those ones. So until we're really driving through the city on our uh, buses that are just on the, the Olympic buses that we can take, yeah, you would really be anywhere. <laughs> So, right. So what's, what's Beijing like now? Because I went to Beijing in June of 2013 when it wasn't prepped for the Olympics. And I remember I needed to adjust to number one, the air quality. I found out shortly thereafter that it caused me to go to the doctor and I found out that I had walking pneumonia, but the driving, I, I, I almost needed to sedate myself before I got in the car and got moving. Is it like that now or is it a little bit more orderly because the world is watching, so to speak? Um, it's been nice. They give us our own uh, Olympic lane. So right. we- That makes sense, they, right. <laughs> they like literally just cut out a lane in case I think there's traffic and stuff for some events because you kind of, mm -hmm. there's three different villages. So we're in the Beijing village right in the city, but to get to some of the events, they don't want their, like people to be late, obviously. So there's a whole lane mm -hmm. just for us. But I think sometimes it definitely gets crazy. I think I've almost seen a couple accidents. I think our coaches were in a fender bender because they take like a little taxi <laughs> of their own. I guess one of the days we're already in a fender bender. So it's been a little, a little crazy, but good for us with our own lane. Well, there's a famous story and we have some producers on here so they can look it up. But there was a team in the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, the traffic got so bad that they actually hijacked a bus, believe it or not, in order to make it to the venue on time. But anyway, I want to talk more about the Olympics, but let's let's go back a little bit. First of all, you're representing the United States in hockey. And um, as a Canadian, hockey is very near and dear to me. But I learned two things. I didn't realize that there was an American Sault Ste. Marie. I just knew the yeah. one in Ontario. Explain to me how this works. Um, well, there's two of them, the Twin, uh, Twin Cities. So, uh, yeah, we kind of say that, you know, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, we're a little smaller mm -hmm. than Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. But, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, growing up, I was right on the border of them. So I would go across to get my Tim Hortons fix or anything like that. <laughs> it takes about, like, I could leave my house and be at Tim Hortons probably 10 minutes across the border get whatever I wanted, come back, go to their mm -hmm. mall, anything like that. So it's, uh, it's very interesting to just grow up where that's so normal. So you got into hockey at a very young age, right? Very young, yeah. I've probably been skating since I could walk or at least on the rink. I'd get pulled mm -hmm. around on a sled or anything else in my backyard rink. And then growing up in the Sioux, and we can call – am I allowed to call it the Sioux if I've skied at yeah. Searchmont? Yeah, you, you can call it the Sioux. Okay, so growing up in the Sioux, um, most of the time growing up, you were just playing with guys, right? Yeah, so there's was no uh, girls program on our side of the the river there. So if you wanted to play girls, you could go across to Sioux St. Marie, Ontario um, and play over there. I could have moved to, say, a prep school in high school or something like that. And uh, for me, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I really uh, I debated it and thought about it a lot, I think, going into high school mainly, just because you take a jump and do a lot of bigger players and I had to make that roster and hope I made that varsity roster. So my whole life though, I basically just was playing with the boys most of the year. Did, was there, were there advantages to that? Is that a typical path for women in hockey or was it more pronounced because of where you were geographically? Uh, I think these days it's not a, not as common. I think uh, mm -hmm. at the beginning of when the Olympic Games started, I think a lot of girls had that path. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of girls start playing boys and normally move to girls hockey probably at least before high school. A lot go to prep schools and things like that. So for me, it was kind of a geographical thing, but it was also a, like I didn't want – I was debating moving away and playing with the girls. And for me, I think I just wanted the challenge of playing with the guys and staying home and having to kind of tough it out and see if I could uh, be good in the guys' game still. So I think that was kind of why I picked it. Were the guys, and forgive me if this is sort of a reductive question, but did did you ever have problems with guys taking it easy on you? Did they pick on you? Was it did it depend on the player? Like what 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 was that like? And and 
would you, if a guy was taking it easy on you or not treating you fairly, how do you react to that? I, I've been pretty lucky. All the guys I played with were great. I don't think they ever took it easy on me. I can't say they ever picked on me, but them taking it not very easy on me was, I, I like to throw it around more than probably they did sometimes. So in, <laughs> in, in games and things like that, I probably started more fights than, uh, than a lot of my line mates did and things like that or started more scrums and, as always, wanted yeah. to jump right well, into the mix. So they, they always, at by the end of the, I would say the start of my freshman, sophomore year, I was getting defended a lot more by the end. They were like, all right, Abby's fine. She's fine. She, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get for you. We'll get to your proclivity for starting scrums in a moment, but let's jump ahead to your collegiate career. What led you to the University of Wisconsin? You know, I, I was playing, obviously, um, in high school, and that's kind of when I started going to these uh, USA selection camps. At first, I didn't really know what they were, honestly. I was just like, there's a camp in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can go to, like, the national camp. Do you want to go? I was like, sure. My dad asked me. So I went down, had no idea how good I was going to be compared to other girls. I just mm-hmm. I had no idea what to expect. And then I went to the camp, and then right after I'm getting called, I'm probably in the eighth grade from colleges, and I was like, oh, so this is how it's going to work. And um, I was actually, I really wanted to go to Wisconsin since I was a kid, and they were, I talked to them for a while, but they were about one of the last teams to actually offer me a scholarship, and I was kind of waiting, but not. I was just taking my time with the whole process, and finally uh, Mm -hmm. they offered me, and it took a little bit to officially decide, but I I went there as a kid when my dad was coaching uh, at Lake State. He was playing in their uh, Christmas tournament. Mm -hmm. I remember I thought it was unbelievable there, and I kind of just wanted to go play hockey there because of the atmosphere and the rink and everything so kind of a full circle moment when I was a kid thinking that I was going to be a Wisconsin Badger and then I was wow good for you do you miss do you miss Madison oh yeah I miss Madison a lot obviously with COVID I haven't gotten to uh get back as much as I would like just the traveling with hockey stuff we have a lot of rules hopefully this uh after this or this summer I want to be there quite a bit and get to see it I've only been back twice so need to get back there much more. Okay. So I I was introduced to you through our, your, your cousin and, and my friend Mackenzie, your, your first cousin who you guys look more (laughs) or less, more or less exactly alike. I remember seeing you guys for the first time in Toronto back in 2016 or 2017. And you, it's to the point where you definitely like could have pulled a fast one and just done a switcheroo and I would have caught on eventually, but it would have like, it wouldn't have happened immediately. That's how much you guys look alike. Yeah. We, we basically, we always get uh, told we're twins whenever we're, I think when we were out in Toronto, we were asked multiple times if we were sisters or twins and it's hilarious. Cause uh, we kind of always joke cause our parents are twins that we're kind of like sister cousins, you know, a little, a little closer. Yeah. So we definitely look the part for sure. Yeah. So this, the year was 2018. And the first time that I got to see you play was in the semifinals of the frozen four against Colgate. Uh, Shout out to my buddy, Brian Chisholm, who went there. Now you guys lost a, a double OT thriller, but you were all over the map in that game. It was also the first time that I got to see you on television. So I guess my question for you is when, when you're on TV, like national TV, are you aware that you're on national TV? I think you often forget. I think I'm probably the most forgetful that I'm on national TV. I think uh-huh. I, I just am I'm playing my game. I'm caught up in the moment. So I think I often forget. I think here especially, I've had to remember it a little more because there's uh, not really fans. There are some fans, mm-hmm. but and they don't do the crowd noise. So at times you okay. can hear everything that's going on on the ice. So you, uh, here I've had to like really like think about it, but you still like, you can only do so much when you're caught up in a game. You don't really think about any of that. No, you don't. And you don't because, no. because you know that people can, you know that people can read lips, right? Yeah. I, you, you got a penalty. You got a couple of penalties in that game against Colgate and you went into the box and you said something to the referee that I, I mean, I had to, I had to leave the room and go for a walk for, for a second. Have you always? I mean, is that 
is that the fire, your competitive fire in the game? Because I mean, I, I see you off the ice. I know I was a total psychopath when I would I would play sports, and I'm not suggesting that you are. But <laughs> do, do you have a good rapport with officials, and are you losing yourself in the moment, or or what is it? Or do you um, just have a you know, mouth? I could say I think sometimes <laughs> I get to be a little psychopath when playing sports. I think it's funny because. I think away from sports, I'm probably the complete opposite. Very laid back, do whatever, chill. And once I'm competing, though, it's just a, it's a whole different thing. And I don't I don't think a lot of refs love me. I really don't. Um, <laughs> I think uh, a lot of the refs actually through the four years in college. I think by the end, lo- liked me actually. I thought they all hated me. And my senior year would kept kept coming up to me and be like, Hey, Abby, like, just want to say congrats. And like, we no, we love refing you. And I was wow. like, This is a very big surprise. I don't know why, but um. Yeah, I think refs, refs and me are pretty big enemies usually. I get a lot of penalties for honestly just being bigger, <laughs> bigger than the other person or stronger when I'm just trying to play hard on the puck. And if, especially in girls hockey, if the other girl falls, a lot of the times the ref just put their arms up because the other girl falls, not because it's a penalty. So that one definitely sets yeah. me off. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I, I, I get it. Um, it's, you are, that was one of the first things that I noticed watching that game is that you are clearly a difficult player to to officiate and that can be very frustrating because if you go changing your game because you're bigger and stronger than everyone else then that sort of defeats the purpose of 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 you playing your game i suppose correct yeah i mean obviously i think my freshman year of college i had to uh i think i led the ncaa in penalty minutes that year so i had to change it <laughs> i think i had to change it a little bit but it was just that was my first year out of boys hockey i think naturally i was going into the boards or going everywhere, I think, just thinking a guy was going to hit me because you always had to be ready for a brace or ready to get nailed, and they weren't. So uh, most of the time, the other girl would end up on the ice, and I would end up in the penalty box. Mm-hmm. But um, I think a lot of it has been learning to change that without taking off the physicality uh, for too much, just learning to try to reel it into a point where like you can take people into the boards, but just make sure that it doesn't look like you're about to get a penalty. But I still get them anyway, um, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw. Uh, I know what the Gordie Howe hat trick is. What's the Abby Rock hat trick? You know, people people love to say that it's pretty similar. That it's usually me in the box, maybe a goal and assist, but also usually, yeah, I'm probably yelling at the refs for something right after. Oh, you got to add a- that in. But <laughs> Oh, that's a good one, right? Because there's no, I mean, there's, there's no fighting. There's no fighting in, in women's hockey. But so the Gordie Howe hat trick was a goal, assist, and a, and a fight. So the Abbey Rock hat trick is a goal, a penalty, and a long, slow zoom of you sitting on the bench berating an official. Sounds pretty much. Right. It's pretty much right. <laughs> We have our own little scrubs, uh, but yeah, I wish we could drop them like the like guys can. But unfortunately, <laughs> we we normally get pulled away before it gets too heated. But if you look up some of the yeah. fights the U.S. and Canada girls have had, there's a couple great ones. But oh, yeah, okay. there's a- we'll get we'll get to um we'll get to the Canadians in a moment. So was that the most that loss to Colgate? Was that the toughest loss of your collegiate career? Um, I I honestly the year before I think. That Clarkson year, I think, was the toughest one. The year before, we mm-hmm. we played Clarkson in the national championship. So we lost to Colgate in the oh. semifinal. And we, but I would say the Colgate game, we played really well. We just we scored a lot of goals. It just didn't really go our way. And there was a lot of bad calls officiating then uh, in that whole game itself. And I think the year before, though, against Clarkson, we, we played one of our best games. And I think that one is just tough because we had a all-star roster. We I think we all shot the other team like 40-something to 18. and. They, uh, they didn't score a single goal. So it was uh, definitely um, – or we didn't score a single goal. We like, lost, I think, 2 nothing, maybe 3 nothing with an empty net. So it was uh, definitely a crazy, crazy game that one was, especially we just had stacked roster. We had three girls where now I'm on the Canadian Olympic team on that team. So I play against them. Four girls – three girls were on that team. There's another girl I played with at Wisconsin who's there now. Sorry, so. I lost you there for a second, but I know that oh. you'll get back. Okay, let's let's shift let's shift gears just because I lost you there for a second. You guys won in 2019. You guys came back and yeah. you finally got the national championship. How was that? You know, that was, uh, that was awesome. That was much needed. There was a lot of years in a row of us losing in that semifinal game or that national championship game. So I think to finally, uh, finally pull that one out was um, – I think it was just the celebration of a lifetime. Honestly, we had, we had a lot of fun mm-hmm. with that one. Finally winning because normally it, it's a 
it's a sad little bender week, but we had a lot more fun that time. <laughs> <laughs> and then that makes, I guess that makes the 2020 a little bit easier because your senior season was cut short clearly by the, by the pandemic. And um, so, you know, you get to, you get to not quite walk away or go out on top for your collegiate career, but winning in 2019 is fantastic. And then that brings you into, uh, into team USA's vortex. Um, you know, when did you set your sights on, on these Olympics or was that the first major international thing that you set your sights on? Honestly, when I was in college, I mean, I made the U18 uh, USA team as a high schooler and a lot of girls make that and you kind of follow that path to college. And when I got to college, I was getting invited to a lot of the camps for U22s. I made the U22 team um, and was getting invited to camps, but never really making the roster. And I think to me, I never, I think I didn't think they would ever change the roster that much. I think I was just kind of, I would go to the camps, do my best. And I, in my head, I think I was like, yeah, it'd be great if I could be on this team, but I just always assumed that I was going to go back home after. And then one day they were making the cuts. And I remember I was, me and two of my good friends from Wisconsin all thought we were going home the next day. I think we like ordered like Popeyes that night or something. We were like, <laughs> all right, we're going home. So we ate Popeyes and we went down to cuts and we were sitting there. And all of a sudden they're like, uh, they put the list up. And I remember I saw my name and I was like, oh, and I was like, what's going on? And then I saw their names and I was like, Whoo. I was like, we really didn't expect this. And we walked out and I was like, you did see my name, right? Then they were like, you saw mine, right? And we were like, oh, I was like, we're on this roster. So we were like, we really need to go throw away all the Popeyes rappers in our room because you know, <laughs> we were going home. But um, yeah, I mean, after that, I think that was kind of when I set my sights on being on this Olympic roster was when I made that first one. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is doable. I'm on this roster. I can hopefully keep a spot and make sure that I, uh, improving that, I can be on that team. Do you remember when you got the news that you made the team? Yeah, so we were in Blaine still. We were supposed to not get the news until we were supposed to play Canada three times and get the news, and they uh, kind of surprised us and made the made the final cuts about, like, probably 11 days earlier or something, 10, 10 days earlier than they were supposed to. And uh, it was actually crazy because I – I was injured for most of the year. I had ankle surgery. Mm-hmm. I broke my finger. So I, uh, I was injured most of the year. And then I had to uh, obviously keep trying to get back. And I was going to try to play in these games against Canada to try to make this team. And then all of a sudden I, they call us all into the rink and they were like, well, this is the roster. This is what it's going to be. And congratulations, cool. you're an Olympian. And I was like, oh, okay. So great surprise to come to the rink too. I was like, I wonder why we're having this random meeting. And it was uh, obviously unbelievable to get a surprise like that and not have to worry about it, I guess, any longer because it is a very stressful process. Sure. Well, it's, I mean, listen, you're, it's, it's not like you're on the fringe of the team, but until you make it for the first time, until you get to represent your country at the Olympics, it's never a given. Who'd you call? Who's your first call? Who was my first call? I think, honestly, I think, I think I texted my dad. I think from the room still. Uh, and then I think I, I texted one of my good friends, Mackenzie Stefan, and I think I called her a little shortly after and just, I honestly don't think I did. I was, I think I was more in shock for honestly for a little bit of it, but um, yeah, I think I was honestly just in shock for a while. I think a lot of people were looking at me, giving me hugs, knowing that I was injured. <laughs> they were like, no, you're good. You're here. And I'm like, Thank God. But uh, yeah, it was an awesome moment with the team. A little bittersweet, obviously. People go home. Some of my good friends, obviously, uh, go home just because that's how the team works. You're good friends with everybody, but Mm -hmm. you have to cut down that roster. So it's always a little bittersweet. So what is the camaraderie like uh, on on the team? I mean, obviously, there are veterans, there are newbies. Um, You know, you have some people that you played with at Wisconsin on the team. Um, You know, what's it? What's what's it like? Is it a good vibe so far? Yeah, I mean, it's a great vibe. It's very fun. Um, we're having a lot of fun now that we're uh, here in the village and a little more relaxed, too, I think. I think a lot of our mm-hmm. stress was about getting here, making sure you don't get COVID so that you can even make it to Beijing. Like, the last month was crazy, yeah. just trying to be making sure we could get here. And I think now that we're here and we've been here for a lot of days, it's a lot less stressful and we're just having fun playing games and uh, getting to go to practice and having fun on the bus and I don't know. It's just, it's great to be here and be with them. It's a great mix too. We do have a lot of veteran girls and 
even our vets love to have fun, maybe more than uh, others. And then we have these young girls who just always have energy, uh, always doing the new TikTok dances and things like that. And it's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun to be here and be with this group. We got a lot. We have a lot of people of very different, uh, I'd say, very different personalities, but it meshes quite well. Some quiet, some loud, some just all over the place. Yeah, I think uh, definitely have some quiet. Uh, for sure, have the loud. We have a lot of loud people. I think even our quiet people, when they want to, can get quite loud. So, um, well, you are, it, you it are is a lot of players. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, you mentioned TikTok dances there. I, I'm curious. Um, you know, what is the go-to social media platform for everyone on the team right now? Honestly, I probably would say there's a lot of girls. I can't, I don't do the TikTok. I, I go on it all the time. I love to scroll, but I, I don't make any, but there's a lot of <laughs> girls who make a lot of TikToks on the team and they, they love it. They think it's hilarious. We have girls who are, they'll like stitch the other girls' TikToks and make fun of the dances they're doing or try to mm-hmm. mimic them and stuff like that. I think it's giving people a lot of entertainment while they're here for sure. Has a, has a player been reprimanded by a coach for being on TikTok when they're supposed to be paying attention? Not yet. I don't think. <laughs> Granted, I think if uh, I think our players would reprimand them before our coach could even get to it if they were. Sure. But uh, no, we have a we have a lot of girls who love to uh, make videos or just do whatever. So it's honestly it's hilarious. I love watching them. They'll put them on Instagram too, and it's hilarious. So outside of outside of the people on your team and your coaches. Um, are you guys able to interact with anyone? Because obviously the, one of the most fun things about an Olympic Games is going there and meeting other Olympians from other countries, um, you know, not even in your sport, like, but, you know, going and meeting, you know, someone from Norway who's wonderful at the heptathlon. Um, yep. Is heptathlon the right word? The this, this cross-country skiing where they stop and they shoot. The, um, I was watching it the other day. I'm going to lose biathlon maybe. Biathlon. There you yeah, go. I was watching so that. Are TV you able? Today. Are you able to interact with anyone? We, I would say, kind of. I don't think it's like in days past. We obviously, uh, you don't want to be mm-hmm. a close contact of anybody, and we, we wear our masks all the time, so it's obviously it's a lot safer that way. But I think the main thing that people do is like the short interactions uh, with the pin trading. It's huge here. I did not realize that when I got yeah. here, and it is huge here. So everybody on our team has like their pins on their accreditation, like ribbon here. And people will come up to you and say, trade pin. Even the workers will come up to you, even who work here and ask you to trade their pins. But it's, uh, that, I'd say that's a big uh, thing for the interaction is that, but obviously I wish we could interact more. I think a lot of us are just scared to at this point, cause we have a lot of tournament left. I think once we get to that final day and we'll, we'll be here for three or four days longer. I think that'll relax a little bit. People want to mm-hmm. interact with other teams more, but um, I mean, opening ceremonies was cool. We got to interact with a lot more of team USA there. Obviously I saw people like Sean white was there. I got to talk to him for a minute. I asked him for a picture. Cool. I think I started a little downhill slope and got like 30 other people to ask him for a picture, but he oh, was, uh, you're the one that you're the one that did, you're the one that did it. Uh, you're, the one, you're the one that you, you broke the seal on asking the flying tomato for a photo. Yeah. And then he spent his next, he spent the next 45 minutes of his last opening ceremonies snapping selfies. Good for you. That's yeah. fine. Well, That's he was, he was right next to me for so long. I finally go, can I just get a quick selfie? And then some girls on my team, oh, like sure. one girl has been obsessed with him since she was a kid. She's like, I need it. I think she was about to cry. Um, but he was awesome. He loved it. He was like, of course he got a picture with our whole team. He was like, yeah, woman talk you. Let's get a picture. He, uh, he talked to a lot of the girls for a while. I talked to him for a bit just about uh, the mountains and their competition. And I talked to some other snowboarders. There's another snowboarder who just crossed up from the UP. Um, so I got to mm-hmm. talk to him for a little bit. So it was actually, it was really great. That was probably one of the most interactions we've had with uh, just their other US uh, teammates. So that was great. Have you gotten any good Olympic advice from anyone outside of the team or on the team that, or has any part of this experience sort of thrown you for a loop? at all i think or is it just a hot or is it just a hockey tournament i think it's a little bit of both i think to me i think it is just a hockey tournament but i think when you realize what's on the line at the end of it it's uh mm-hmm. it's obviously a lot bigger and olympic gold's on the line so i think i think a lot of the advice i've just been getting from other girls is to honestly is just they're like 
while I'm playing, this is obviously my first games in a while because of the injuries and uh, just getting settled in. And obviously I had to take on a different role with the Brianna Decker injury. And a lot of the girls are just being very supportive of that and saying like, you know, you got this, you're playing great. Just settle in, like keep doing what you're doing. Like everything's just going to start popping in, especially after that Canada loss we just had, you know, we couldn't pop one in uh, or pop enough in, but uh, we uh, had so many chances. I think everybody's just on the same page that we're playing great. Let's just keep pushing. And I think it'll all click hopefully at the right time. So look, I know that, I know that you have to say all the right things, but, but women's hockey in a tournament like this is incredibly unique because you have two countries in the United States and Canada that are just are, are significantly better than everyone else in the world. Now that doesn't mean that you guys are guaranteed to face each other in the gold medal game, but that is the overwhelming expectation. When you play a team like Canada in the round Robin portion of the tournament, uh, are you guys, I wouldn't say not giving maximum effort, but are, are there things that you hold close to the chest and hold back in anticipation of maybe meeting later in the tournament? Or are you just trying to get the win? I mean, we're always just trying to get the win, honestly. We, we're we very competitive, I think. I think even just that loss, I, I mean, we hate losing. It's tough. I think mm-hmm. we, we recognized it for what it was, though. We played awesome. We outshot them by double. We had a great game. Um, so I think in that sense, we're like, we're confident in that and knowing that we are a great team and that we can play great when we're on and we just need to keep pushing that. But yeah, obviously we want to win every game. There's definitely no holding back. I think we're just, we're competitive people. We want to beat whoever we're playing and we would like to beat them by a lot, um, ideally, right? <laughs> so what's up next? What's next? What's your next game? Uh, we play the Czech Republic tomorrow. So that'll be our quarterfinal mm-hmm. game. And then uh, I think we would, if we win, we reseed. And then we would, uh, I don't, I think, potential, I don't even know who the potential is right now. But it but would you, reseed. We, we've reached, right, but we've reached the elimination portion of the of the tournament. Yes. Okay. How are you feeling? You feel good? Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling pretty good. I've been having a lot of fun. I think I've been playing hard and and you know it's honestly it's just fun to play hockey again that's all i can say even a lot of us had had a lot of time off just because uh some of the games against canada got canceled because of the pandemic and covid too in the late december and early january so i think a lot of us are just very grateful to be playing hockey again and just playing games and having fun Mm -hmm. and you'll just hang out as a team afterwards and and it and how long will you be in beijing after the tournament's over uh, we are staying for closing ceremonies, so that's the 20th, mm-hmm. I believe, and then uh, we're out of here the 21st. I'm actually pretty excited because the curling finals is, uh, I think, the 20th or 19th. I think the curlers are unbelievable, oh, so that's no. what I uh, I hope to make it to the finals because I was, okay. on the, I was on the edge of my seat last night watching them play Russia. But Oh, that's great. Well, hopefully... <laughs> I guess, you know, hopefully as we get towards gold medal games or finals, uh, do you have, are you going to have any opportunities to go and watch it or do you, or, or is it just going to be something that you um, cheer on, on television like everyone else? Uh, I think we'll have opportunities. I honestly could have went last night, but I was exhausted. So I didn't go. We get to go to uh, all these you can go to any of the locations. Obviously, we can't get up to the mountains just because it's so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a completely different village and place. Mm-hmm. But um, I went to speed skating. I got to watch some of those medals. I saw some new Olympic records, actually, in the long track speed skating when we were there. We went to uh, the figure skating team portion. I want to go see some of the individual figure skaters, too. I think that was uh, really cool to watch. So, you know, we, we, we're we all in the same building, most of the U.S. athletes. So you, you do run into them. Cool. They talk, they ask you about your game when they're playing. So it's, it's good to know because they'll make sure that you can get on a bus and go watch uh, other U.S. athletes uh, compete. I think we're also the rowdiest ones. Uh, other people are kind of lightly cheering for their team when we're going, like, around the track. Our, every U.S. athlete's, like, screaming. And we're like, are we annoying or is this just is this just how we do it in America? But, you know, we're uh, I think we're all supportive of each other. So it's great. You being nationalistic and patriotic, it, all of those things are all of those things are totally allowed. Hey, who's winning the fashion wars? Who has the nicest? Who has the nicest um, clothing aside from the U.S.? Who always looks great? 
The U.S. looks pretty good. I will honestly, I've been trying to figure out by the end how I can trade some of my stuff, honestly, for some other country stuff that I've, I've been trying mm-hmm. to like scope it out, you know. Um, I think Italy, I really like their jackets. I've been eyeing them up. Mm-hmm. They're like kind of look like street art, red and uh, green Italia jackets. I think they're pretty cool. The Netherlands stuff is crazy. It's all just orange. I think it's hilarious because they're nonstop riding their bikes around here. I think they're big speed skater people. So <laughs> bright orange outfits everywhere. I could maybe go for one of those jackets too. But uh, yeah, I mean, those are the two that I've been kind of scoping out. We'll get you out of here on, on the hard hitting questions. Who, what, what country has the most attractive athletes? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, there's no wrong answer. I know something popped into your head. There's just, there's just the mask. I think I've seen a couple. (laughs) Oh, you, you, you see that you see the mask. So you kind of know, like you can maybe see them in the dining hall, but like you don't get the full effect. I I think I've definitely seen a couple very like good looking, like Australians, but there's not that many of them. But every time I see them, I'm like, I don't know what group you're with, but (laughs) But the Australians, I, and I've also, I like to listen to them talk every time I'm behind them in line and I'm listening to their accent. I think it's so cool. So, <laughs> well, we should get you up to, we should get you up to Whistler in BC for a little skiing. Well, where the Olympics were in, in 2010. It's all Australians up there. Um, do you have to room with someone in the village? Uh, we, get, we get our own rooms, but you're in an apartment. So oh. I'm with uh, but I, yeah, my uh, sweet mates, I guess, are Alex Carpenter and uh, Haley Scamero. So we have a lot of fun. We've been watching a lot of sports. We all last night refused to go to sleep until the curling was over because it went to extra ends. It was the whole thing. So we were really on our edge of the seat with that one. So it's it's actually, it's great to be able to flip through the channels. They have every single Olympic sport mm-hmm. that's going on. On I'm pretty sure snowboarding might be going on right now. So they might okay. be... Uh, they- are, are you watching it on on NBC or is it just the is it the standard feed of the Olympics? How does it come through? Um, we probably could get up through on NBC if we tried, but it's just on the TVs with this standard feed, but there's no commentary. So often I'll okay. be watching and I have no idea what's going on. We were trying to figure out the other day, the rules for like uh, ski jumping and then a race. And we were just watching as we were trying to listen to like the person over the microphone in the background, who's actually okay. live at the event calling stuff. And it's very, we'll always have to Google it. Cause there's no commentary. You're basically just watching and can hear what they're saying and stuff. So it's a, uh, it's very it's a different way to watch but do they do they flash the do they flash the scores up on a on the screen they will they will flash the scores just no commentary so you'll know what you'll know what the score is well i mean look you just gotta you gotta make do i mean you're you're younger but you know back in the day we just we, we didn't have all these graphics on the screen you had to you had to pay attention there was a subtlety to watching sports that you know it's just you know maybe it doesn't exist anymore with this with this new generation of, of athletes I think we, we're adapting well. I think uh, I think we. I mean, I think us are kind of the commentary most of the time because we're just asking each other questions. Or if there's a U.S. athlete going, usually we're like yelling at the screen. If there's a big group of us, so it's uh, it's quite comical, honestly, to just let us try to figure out some of the sports we're not as familiar with. Okay. Well, I can't wish you. I can, I'll wish you good luck in the. In, in the knockout portion of the tournament, I don't want to. I don't want to say that it's a fait accompli that that you guys are going to be in the gold medal game, but we're going to do a we're going to do a watch party out in. Um, I'll be out in Palm Springs, and your cousin Mackenzie will be there. And uh, we had a bunch of people buy uh, buy two packs and um, uh, of of wine, and uh, we're kicking some money to a charity, which uh, I'll talk about at the top of the episode because I don't want to want to end with that but something that's near and dear to you um any 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 messages to all of the people that are cheering you on back stateside yeah obviously just to keep cheering us on it means a lot to us and uh we're uh we're especially grateful for all of our fans and hopefully we can bring home the gold well best of luck to you i've never i've never spoken to someone from a dorm room in (laughs) in an olympic village before in in the midst of a global pandemic this is a this is a first for me. I also hear that you're a really good golfer, so maybe we can, maybe we can get the sticks out this summer when everyone's back. And I've I been dying definitely. to go to Madison. I'm trying, I'm trying to convince, trying to convince my buddy that we should throw a knocking point party in Madison, Wisconsin. So you should. That, it's that honestly would go over well. Madison's beautiful. Okay. It would go over great. Madison's a fun okay. place. 
Okay. Well, you're probably like the mayor, so maybe come and be like the guest of honor at the at the party. And we'll I'd go love from to there. come. I'd love hey, to come. I don't know if I'm right. the mayor, but I know where to party there, so it's it's all fun. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Well, Avi, thank you very much. Um, I'll stop the recording in a second, but congratulations. Um, this is a odd moment for me because um, you know my daughter is a is is dual. I'm Canadian, but I, you know. I, I feel like if there's one Olympics where I'm allowed to cheer against Canada in hockey, it would be, it would be this one. It'd be this one. Yeah. But you're supposed to, you're supposed to cheer for us. I know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, best of luck and um, good luck bringing home the gold, but uh, just if nothing else, congratulations on everything thus far. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, thank you very much to Abby Rock. That was a wonderful interview. Uh, thank you for bearing with us because some of her answers were happening and you're hearing it on the recording, but I wasn't hearing it. So if there are some things in that interview that don't feel like they totally match up, um, that's why. But uh, she uh, gave us some time bright and early in Beijing, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, she's a wonderful young woman and... Uh, an Olympian and someone that I look up to. So I'd like to thank her for being our guest. This has been episode three of the Dudes Being Dudes podcast. I'm Stephen Amell for Andrew Harding and the entire team at Rocky Points. Thanks for listening.